Heavenly Father, we thank you that there are many in this land that fear you, that have seen that the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord their God. And Lord, we thank you that there are many in this place that fear you and that we are friends with one another. In fact, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, that we have a mutual reverence for the one who created us, who sustains us, and who redeemed us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us as people who fear you this morning and come to your word with reverence and respect. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would help us to look at your word as indeed the words of the living God. And, Lord, we pray that we would follow your instructions that are here for us today. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we've been working our way through the book of John together, and John chapter 9 is uh, where we've been, and today we'll finish the chapter. We'll finish looking at this remarkable story of Jesus healing a man who was blind from birth. We've been looking at Jesus' interactions with this man, and then we've been looking at the interactions of the man with the people of his community, his neighbours, his family, and even the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, have been interacting with this man. And so last week we saw that the man was uh, talking to the religious leaders and they were then investigating further how Jesus healed the man. What precisely did Jesus do to bring this man to being able to see, to give him sight? And so they called in his parents. They wanted his parents to testify that this was indeed the man, in case maybe there'd been some mix-up and the man wasn't actually born blind. And so Jesus had done no miracle at all and therefore they wanted more witnesses. It was never sufficient for them to listen to the testimony of the man himself. And then we looked at the parents and what they said in verses 20 and 21, and they basically deflected the problem of Jesus being the Messiah, affirming that Jesus healed the man by putting it back upon the man himself. They said he is of age, you should ask him, we don't really know how he got healed, and they did this out of fear, we saw last week. We saw the way that people can be afraid to affirm who Jesus is because of the actions that people will take against them. And so this week, we pick it up at verse 24, where the Pharisees summon the man for a second time and ask him some questions. In verse 24, look with me now, John chapter 9, page 1061. Page 1061, you'll be helped by having a Bible in front of you this morning. John chapter 9, verse 24, a second time they, that's the Pharisees, summon the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. They continue to affirm that Jesus is wrong in healing this man on the Sabbath. Maybe it did indeed take place, that this man was born blind and that Jesus healed him. But the way that Jesus healed him and the day that Jesus healed him on is very important to these Pharisees. And so therefore, they accuse Jesus of being a sinner. They say in verse 24, we know this man is a sinner. But what does the blind man say? The man who had been formerly blind, I should say. What does he say? Verse 25. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. This man does not back down. He knows one thing. He was blind, but now he can see. So what do the Pharisees do in response to this man's affirmation once more about Jesus' miraculous power? Well, we read in verse 26. 
Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? See again, they're not interested in the fact that he has been healed. They're interested in how he was healed and whether it was done according to their law. How did he open your eyes? So what does the man respond to this question? Verse 27 starts to get cheeky. Verse 27, he answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? They're very interested as to how Jesus got healed and they've asked him again and again. They've asked his parents and now he's saying, I've already told you, do you want to become his disciples too? The Pharisees are not happy with this, of course. And so then we see their response to the man. Verse 28, then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow... That's Jesus. We don't even know where he comes from. They start to insult Jesus. They've already spoken about him as a sinner, but here they insult the man as well. They hurl insults, it says there in verse 28. They accuse him of not being a disciple of Moses. Instead, he's a disciple of this man. And this man, who is he? Well, we don't know where he comes from. He's not from God. Moses was from God. But this man, Jesus, he is clearly not from God. We know he's a sinner. So they start to insult the man along with Jesus. Formerly, they'd just been insulting Jesus. Now they start to turn on the man himself. So what does the man do? Well, he doesn't back down. Verse 30, the man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from. Yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. The man is using common sense, which is not always that common, uh, and he's putting a bit of wit in there as well. It is remarkable. Now, that's remarkable that you don't know where he comes from. You should, shouldn't you? This is a man who clearly can do great wonders. And he then affirms biblical teaching that the wonders that are done by this man demonstrate that he is indeed from God. But how do the Pharisees respond to this reply from the man? Well, we read in verse 34, To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. They respond by getting rid of the man, by continuing to insult him, and they actually excommunicate him. And what happens as a result of this man being excommunicated by the Pharisees? Well, the the narrative continues. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. The man is not abandoned. Jesus... Here's what's going on with this man. Jesus has been absent from this whole discussion with the parents and the Pharisees and the man. But he hears about it and he comes and finds the man. And what does he do? He encourages him. How does he encourage him? By questioning, does he believe in the Son of Man? Does he believe in the Son of Man? Does he recognize that Jesus is God's Messiah? And the man responds by asking, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus reveals that he is the Son of Man. Verse 37, Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. 
And then the man goes on to worship him. We read in verse 38, Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus doesn't stop there. He then speaks about the Pharisees in verses 39 and following. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. We've seen again and again that Jesus in this narrative, he's healed this man with a particular purpose not just to give this man his sight back, physical sight, but to glorify God's name and to use this man and his healing, Jesus' healing of this man, as a metaphor, as an illustration of what God does in giving spiritual sight to those who are spiritually blind. And that's what he's speaking of there in verse 39. And the Pharisees, some of them are there still listening. We see that they respond uh, badly to this message. Verse 40, some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? They know what Jesus is saying. And Jesus says in verse 41, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. This man defends Jesus and then people insult him along with Jesus. They persecute him. They excommunicate him out of their community and this would have been a terrible thing for this man to experience but Jesus finds him and gives him encouragement he supports him he reveals to the man more of who he is he accepts the worship that the man offers to him and he also reminds the man that these Pharisees who have excommunicated you who have judged you that they are the ones who are really guilty they claim to see And as a result of their claim to see, they are actually guilty of sin and their guilt remains on them. And so we've been looking at this passage together and we've been seeing how we are like the blind man, that we are spiritually blind, but then Jesus opens our eyes. We've also seen how people can interact with this miracle of Jesus. That's what we looked at last week and how people need more and more evidence and it's never good enough like the Pharisees did. We've seen how the parents respond in fear of man when they hear about the miracle of Jesus. This morning I want to spend a bit of time looking at the way that Jesus looks after this man, which we've just seen in verses 35 and following, once the man is insulted uh, because of defending Jesus. Because this often happens to us as well. We defend Jesus, people don't like Jesus, we defend Jesus, and what happens? Instead of just concentrating their their attacks on Jesus, they then start to attack us as his disciples. And we may have good arguments to defend Jesus, as this man did. He kept on saying, well, come on, face the facts. I was blind, but now I see. And we can have good arguments to those who do not believe in Jesus. Why Jesus is from God and why they should trust in him. But instead of engaging the ideas... They attack us instead. What did they do to the man? They hurled insults at him. And they would particularly do this if we use a little bit of wit and sarcasm, as the man did uh, here in the text. I'm not saying that you should necessarily do that, but sometimes a little bit of ridicule uh, can be helpful for someone to realise how silly, how foolish they are being. But it doesn't always go down well. And when people feel like they're being foolish, they instead will attack us and hurl insults. And they may even accuse us of not being true followers of God. That's what the Pharisees are doing with this man here. They're accusing him. They say, we are followers of Moses, but you are a follower of this man. You are not actually someone who follows after God. And there are many people out there who call themselves Christians. 
And as soon as they hear us defending the teachings of the Scripture, as soon as they hear us defending the true Jesus as he is revealed in Scripture, and they do not like the Jesus that is revealed in Scripture, they will say that you're not the true Christians. We are the true Christians who have our false Jesus. We're not interested in what the Bible has to say, but we are Christians. I even saw this last week with a very famous pop star, uh, she had a comp- uh, 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 what do you call it? Uh, concert. I was going to say a conference. Pop stars don't have conferences; they have concerts. She had this concert, and she responded at that concert in between sets, uh, between her music pieces. She actually made some comments about a politician in the states and his view of the Lord Jesus Christ. And she said, "I am a Christian woman, and I can tell you that you do not represent Christianity." She was saying to this politician, "I am the true Christian." She didn't reference the scriptures at all. She's not interested in what the Bible has to say about who is a true Christian. She is, I believe, by her actions, by their fruit, you will know them. I believe that she is not a true Christian. But she actually turns around and says to the true Christians, you are not a follower of Moses. You are not a follower of Jesus Christ. You do not worship the true God. And that can happen to you as you defend the true Jesus from the scriptures. There are people out there who call themselves Christians. The Pharisees were religious leaders. They claimed to be followers of God. And yet they rejected God's Messiah. And it does happen to us. And they can even accuse us, people outside the church, they can accuse us of being steeped in sin at birth, which is what they said to this man. It is awful what they're saying there. It's a thing that the disciples brought up with the Jesus at the beginning, that because of his blindness, he must have been a terrible sinner from birth. If you were born blind, you must have done something very bad in the womb. And that's what we looked at when we first came to this chapter together. And the Pharisees are saying that to this man. And people can say that about us. They can say, the reason you break our little laws and you do not hold to our teachings, our secular theories, our atheism, is because you were steeped in sin, sin in the sense of you've broken our little laws, from birth. I've had an atheist say this to me. He said, the only reason you're a Christian is because you were born into a Christian family. So what's that implying? Well, you were steeped in sin at birth. You were steeped in these religious teachings that are clearly wrong. And it's happened from birth. And so there's not much you can do, really, to resist that. It's very inherent. It's, it's hardwired into you, that sin that was taught to you at birth. And people will insult us in that way. And they can call us audacious for lecturing them. That's what uh, they, they said to this man. They said, how dare you lecture us in verse 34? You were steeped in sin at birth in verse 34, and then how dare you lecture us? And people can do that to us. They can say, who do you think you are? You're a nobody. Do you realise I'm a professor of a university? Do you realise I'm a politician and have great power? Do you realise my age? You should show me respect, young man. Or say, how dare you lecture us? They won't be interested in the idea. Instead, they pull rank and say, you can't speak to me about this Jesus. And then they can do what they did to the blind man at the end of verse 34. They can throw us out. They can throw us out of any circle they can they can think of, whether it be a friendship circle, whether it be a family circle. People can excommunicate people from their families. You are dead to me. A father can say to a son, I'm cutting you out of my will because you're following this Jesus. They can even excommunicate us from a workplace if they can get it done some way in this country. We have fairly strict laws about persecuting someone because of a religious belief, firing someone because of a religious belief, but that doesn't mean it doesn't happen. 
They can come up with some other motive, some other reason to get rid of you, but ultimately it's because you're a disciple of Jesus Christ and you won't back down like this man wouldn't back down. But this morning, I didn't want to just focus on the fact that people can attack us. We looked at that last week with the way that the the parents were afraid of what man could do to them. And now we see the things that they were afraid of happening to this man. It wasn't an, an idle fear that they had. It really does happen, and it happens to this man here. It could have happened to the parents too, but they shrank back in the face of Christ's miracle. But it's very interesting to see that the man is not abandoned. He's not left alone, and that's what I want to look at particularly today. What happens after the man is thrown out? Well, Jesus came and found him, and encouraged him. And he does that to us today as well. Yes, these things that we see described here that the Pharisees did to Jesus' disciple, he was still very early in his understanding of who Jesus was, but he did not back down. He was affirming Jesus as a man from God. And when we are persecuted, when we are insulted, when we are excommunicated, when people say, how dare you lecture us? Jesus hears. He hears. He's all-knowing. He knows what is happening to you and he finds us and he encourages us jesus draws near to those who are insulted because of his name to those who are excommunicated from the circles of this world he draws near to them and he encourages his people now how does he encourage his people well the same things that he did with this blind man what did he do with the blind man he asked the man do you really believe in me do you believe in the son of man Do you believe in me? And that's what happens as we are Christians and we're getting persecuted and we're feeling really under the weather and we're we're really not sure what to do. Jesus comes to us and asks, do you actually believe in me? Remember, you affirm that you trust me. Do you trust me? It's easy to trust me when things are going well. But now that you're being insulted for being a Christian, do you really trust me? Do you trust that everything will be okay? And do you trust that I am the Son of Man? Do you trust that I am God's Messiah? Who is this son of man that Jesus is speaking about? Well, of course, it's Jesus. But what's he saying about himself when he calls himself the son of man here to this blind man? Well, we saw it there in Daniel chapter 7. But we'll look at it again. I can't help but look at it again. Daniel chapter 7, which is found on page 882. Page 882. And I'll read from verse 9. Daniel is receiving this vision and we read in verse 9 that he sees God on his throne. Verse 9 of Daniel chapter 7, page 882. As I looked, thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Marvelous vision of the Lord on his throne, in judgment. Books are being opened. And then what do we read in verse 13? Skip with me down past verse 11 and verse 12 to verse 13. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power, 
All peoples, nations and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is Jesus. He is the one who has been given authority, glory and sovereign power over all peoples, nations and men of every language. How is this helpful for the man to hear, the man who has been born blind and has now been healed but then ridiculed and thrown out of the religious circle? How is it helpful for him to hear that Jesus is the Son of Man? Well, Jesus pales the Pharisees. The the, the Pharisees pale in comparison to Jesus. If Jesus is the Son of Man who's been given all power and authority, what does it matter if some little group of humans have kicked you out? The Son of Man is your friend. And we saw this in our Bible study this week about who the Son of Man is as well, uh, that Jesus is revealed in this way in Revelation chapter 1. We'll look with that, at that passage as well to, to see how marvellous it is that Jesus is the Son of Man. Revelation chapter 1, page 1215. Page 1215. We've just started a new Bible study on Revelation and we started last week and if you'd like to join us, you're more than welcome to. But Revelation chapter 1, we read together verses 12 and following where the Apostle John sees a vision and he hears someone speaking and we read in verse 12, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me and when I turned I saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance." When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Here we see another vision of who Jesus is revealed as the son of man. He has power and authority and he even has power and authority here over death. He was dead, but is now alive. This is helpful information for the blind man so many years ago when he was being persecuted for following Jesus as he's being persecuted by these people and then he understands that Jesus is the Son of Man as described in Daniel 7 and as we know in Revelation chapter 1. He has nothing to fear. He doesn't even have to fear death because Jesus has power over death and Hades. So the man is encouraged by Jesus as Jesus comes and he encourages us too. If we consider, as we are being insulted, as we are being sniffed at by the world contemptuously, they look at us and think, who are you to follow Jesus and who is your Messiah? We meditate upon Revelation chapter 1. The Lord reminds us of who he is and who we are as friends of him. He is the Son of Man. And he will look after us. So why do we need to be accepted by the world when the Lord accepts us? And that's what he's showing in John chapter 9, that Jesus, as the Son of Man, actually accepts this man. He healed the man, but continues to accept the man. How do we know that Jesus accepts the man? 
Well, we see what the man responds with in verse 38. Turn with me back to John chapter 9, verse 38. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. He worshipped Jesus, and Jesus didn't say, stand up, don't worship me, or go away from me, you're an unclean person. You're a sinner, you shouldn't worship me. You're unholy, I am holy, you're unholy. No, Jesus accepts the worship there of this man. And this is an encouragement to the man that he is accepted by the Son of Man. And that is an encouragement to us when we are insulted by the world, when the world sniffs at us. We know that we belong to the Son of Man and that we can worship him despite our sin. He accepts us and our worship of him. And he even reminds the man here that the real sinners, the real unbelievers here are the Pharisees. And he does that to us as well. As other people outside our church call themselves Christians, as that pop star did this week, call themselves Christians and they look at us and say, you're the sinners. Jesus reminds us by his word, by his voice, that they're the ones who have rejected the true God. They're not the Christians. They are the sinners. They are the ones who are doing wrong. We are the ones who are in the right as ones who worship the Son of Man as revealed in the Scriptures. Now, do these encouragements indeed comfort us? Yes, they do. As we look at the way that Jesus interacts with this blind man, we see that these things are for our encouragement and they have been an encouragement through history that Jesus has drawn near to his people, that he has strengthened them so that they continue in the faith and continue to affirm Jesus as the Messiah. Church history confirms this again and again. There's been some very prominent people in church history who have been excommunicated by churches, who have been ridiculed by the religious establishment. And did they go to pieces? No, Jesus drew near to them and encouraged them, reminded them of who he was, that he is the Son of Man and that they are accepted by him. And so they continued to, continue to affirm Jesus. Some examples for you. Martin Luther, one of the great reformers, he was excommunicated by the Roman Catholic Church. They denied that he was going to heaven. What did he do? He continued to meditate upon God's word. He drew near to the Saviour and the Saviour drew near to him. The Saviour encouraged him, comforted him, and Martin Luther kept on preaching throughout Germany that Jesus was the Messiah, that he is the Son of Man, and that we are acceptable to him if we come by faith, if we trust in him as he encourages this blind man to do so many years earlier. John Calvin, another great reformer, he was excommunicated by his church in Geneva. They threw him out over a matter of who gets to control church discipline, whether it's the, the, the secular leaders of the town or whether it's the church leaders that get to excommunicate people in the church. He felt it should be the, people, the pastors of the church should discern who is spiritually sound or not. The town leaders thought otherwise, and so they excommunicated Calvin from the whole town. What did Calvin do? Did he go to pieces? No, Jesus drew near to him. He studied the word, and he kept on preaching. And eventually, he even went back to that town. They begged him to come back, and he went back to Geneva and continued to proclaim Jesus as Lord. Jonathan Edwards, another great uh, godly man, a great theologian, uh, many years on in the 1700s in North America, uh, from Calvin, 200 years later, he was fired from his church in Northampton in America 
over the Lord's Supper. He thought that if you come to the Lord's table, you should make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. People in the church didn't like that. They thought we shouldn't force people to say that they follow Jesus before they're allowed to take part in communion. He said you can't do that. People have to affirm who Jesus is. Otherwise, they're not welcome at the Lord's table. Church thought otherwise, excommunicated him, fired him as their pastor. What did he do? Did he go to pieces? No, the Lord Jesus drew near to him, encouraged him. He studied the word of God, and he went and preached to the North American Indians in another area altogether. Samuel Rutherford, I'm really enjoying Samuel Rutherford. He was one of the Puritans. Uh, He was expelled from his church as well because of his opposition to the corruption in the Anglican Church. The Anglican Church was in power, the established church. He, would, he, did not, uh, he was not a happy camper about some of the things that were happening with the Anglican Church. So he was banned from the town. He had to go and live in exile. Now, did he go to pieces? No. He continued to study the word of God, continued to write letters to people. He wasn't able to preach, but he was able to write And his letters are still available to us today. And they are some of the most sweet accounts of the Lord Jesus drawing near to someone. There's such a consolation to me. But they obviously come from a consolated heart that that the Lord Jesus did indeed encourage Samuel Rutherford. John Bunyan, a final example for you. John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress, another Puritan, a Baptist this time, where some people might question uh, some of his views on baptism. But... He was put in jail for preaching without a license. Put in jail for preaching without a license. He would have been allowed to go if he would say, yes, I promise not to preach anymore. But instead he said, I can't do that. I've got to preach. Did he go to pieces in jail? No. He wrote Pilgrim's Progress, one of the most edifying books besides the Bible. Countless Christians have been edified by the way that the Lord drew near to John Bunyan whilst in prison and encouraged him. Jesus hears when his people are insulted, when they're persecuted, when they're excommunicated, and he comes speedily and finds them. That's what he did with the blind man. He found him. Jesus finds us. He's done it in church history, and he still does it today, and I can testify to that truth. Some of the times that have been the sweetest moments with Jesus have been when people have been insulting me for my affirmation of who Jesus is. They've been reviling me. They've been sniffing at me. They've been excommunicating me and not wanting to have to do with me any longer. And what happens? Well, when I read the Bible and pray as I do each day, I feel the Lord draw closer to me than he does on other days. And he asks, do you trust me? Do you believe me? That's what he said to the man. Do you believe in the Son of Man? He reminds me of who he is. That people may revile me in this world, but Jesus loves me and accepts my worship of him, despite my sin. Now, this isn't to say that rejection by the world isn't pleasant. Yes, Jesus comforts us. But it's unpleasant when people insult us, when people don't want to have to do with us anymore. You just consider the way school children can do this in a playground. Consider the idea of a new boy coming to school and... He may even be someone that you like. You see this kid, he comes into the playground, he's in your classes, and he may have even been helpful to you in the class in some way. And you really like him. But your friends don't. They don't like this new kid. Why? Might be because he's obviously going to upend their status in the school. 
Maybe he's better looking than all the other kids in the school. Maybe he's more, more athletic. Maybe he's more intelligent. And so they're fearful. Your friends are fearful about their status in the school and that this child may upend their rule. And so what do they do? They respond by calling this new boy nasty names. They revile him and they don't want to have to do with him. And what do you do? Well, you like this new kid. And so you say, oh, no, I I really like him. I think he's good. He was really helpful to me earlier in the day. He helped me with my reading. He helped me with my maths. He passed the ball to me in soccer. I think this kid's a a winner. I really like him. Your friends don't. And what do they do? You defend this child, this new child. They start to attack you as well. Start to say, we don't want to be your friend. If you're going to spend time with that kid, we don't want to have to do with you. And so they excommunicate you from their group. May even push you over on the school Asheville. You bruise your knees. And they walk away laughing. It's not pleasant. School children understand this. It's not pleasant when you get excommunicated from a group because of your defence of somebody else. But imagine with that new kid, he comes and finds you. You're there, you've defended him, the group has expelled you. He comes and finds you and then he reveals to you that he's actually a superhero. He's maybe Peter Parker or Clark Kent. Now, how do you feel that you've been excommunicated from that group? And this new kid, he's seen what happened to you and he's going to stay your friend for life. And he has superpowers. How do you feel? You feel pretty good. You don't worry so much that you've been excommunicated by that group of friends. You've moved on. You've got a new friend who has superpowers. That's what it's like. Times a million to be a friend of the Lord Jesus. Yes, you may be expelled from all kinds of groups in this world. People may insult you. They may turn on you. But Jesus hears. He comes and he finds you and he reveals to you that he's not just a superhero. He is God himself. He is the son of man. He has authority over all things, including those ratbag kids who have expelled you from their group. So you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear at all. And so you can carry on defending Jesus, worshipping Jesus, because you know everything will be okay. And that's the encouragement for us today. We may fear man, and it's not pleasant to consider what people will do to you for affirming Jesus Christ. But you can know that he cares for you like he cared for that blind man, and he will draw near to you and encourage you and support you and remind you of who he is so that you will indeed be blessed. He actually promises to bless those who are insulted, those who are persecuted for the faith. In Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus is speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. He says, blessed are you. And then he says, rejoice and be glad. He promises to bless you when you're insulted for his name. And so we can even say with David, like we read in Psalm 27 at the beginning of the service, you may not have picked up on a most amazing statement from David. In verse 10 of Psalm 27, he says, Though my father and mother forsake me, forsake means depart or leave, though my father or mother and mother 
leave me, forsake me, the Lord will receive me. The Lord will receive me. So even if my parents reject me, the Lord will receive me. So take heart as Christians when people insult you, knowing that the Lord receives you and you can find comfort in his arms. And if you're not a Christian and you're here today, I want you to recognise that you're guilty of even a greater sin by being here and hearing about Jesus and that he opens the blind eyes of spiritually blind people and then you reject him. Jesus says in verse 41 to you today, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. The fact that you claim that you understand that Jesus is not one to be worshipped, your guilt remains on you. Stop attacking Jesus. Stop attacking his people. The more you attack us, the more Christ blesses us. It's useless to do so. I encourage you, don't let guilt remain on you. Instead, do what the blind man did. When he was asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? He said, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Ask that question of Jesus. Who are you? Tell me so I can believe in you. And when he reveals who he is to you, that he is God's Messiah... Do what the blind man did there in verse 38. Lord, I believe. And then worship Jesus as your saviour, as your Lord, as the son of man who's been given all authority from the ancient of days himself. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's speak with him. Lord Jesus, we praise you as the son of man and we worship you. Help us to look to you for comfort when we are rejected by the world because of you. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would increase our faith in you as a son of man. So often we forget who you really are, and so we fear man. We pray that this would not be. Help us to trust in you more and more, that you are the son of man, you are the Messiah, you are the Lord. And so, Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen.